0: This episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help.
1: He has time, launches it to the end zone. Touchdown!
2: Terrence Williams! Goes to the right side for Crabtree. It's caught. I he put, oh, he's
1: going the one! down. Red Raider. of the 10. up the right sideline. Yes, he's got to go. He's tackled. Sam Houston wins up. The Bearcats capture their first.
0: Welcome, everyone, to the Republic of Football. I'm your host, Ishmael Johnson, here for your Sunday recap. Matt, here with Mallory and Mike. Mallory, how are you doing?
2: Doing well. We interrupted the Cowboys game, but that's all right. This is more important anyway.
0: <laughs> i know right i was uh it's one of those things where it's like once you record the sunday episodes like you got epl premier mm-hmm. league soccer in the mornings and then you got nfl right at noon so you're just kind of like half like kind of got a corner of the hour to see what's going on <laughs>
1: exactly and uh
0: and uh mike you were at the piney woods uh yesterday how are you doing man
1: doing pretty good uh made that drive back pretty easily um to me this isn't interrupting the cowboys game this is interrupting the matt rule game fair enough hey i
2: saw your tweet a couple minutes ago i thought that was funny i love
1: that guy i you know guys that can explain football in the way that he does like are usually successful and he's just somebody like when you when he talks about football you learn about football and Mm -hmm. i'm really appreciative of coaches who do that instead of just the way a lot of coaches talk at press conferences
0: i'm excited to see like one one of my favorite things that he did obviously was uh hire joe brady away from lsu he's just like, yeah this guy's just gonna be the next star and he just took him to the nfl with him i'm curious to see what his next move is because like obviously this seems like the panther the panthers seem to be clicking right now and i'm curious what he does next when joe brady get presumably gets hired away um but yeah no i agree like he's such a interesting coach because he just knows personalities he knows styles he knows like he, i don't know it's it's kind of the perfect blend of a little bit more to see with Jeff Trailer right now, where you, where you see a guy that just understands the job top mm-hmm. to bottom.
1: I always thought that like Tom Herman and Rule came to their schools at the same time, right? Mm-hmm. They both got hired in that same cycle. And you could tell early on which one was going to be successful because one talks about football as if as as it's rocket science and nobody could possibly understand it in the way right. that he understands it. And if you don't, if you're not in here for 98 hours a week, how could you possibly ask me a question? And then Matt Rule talks about football like a sport that we all kind of understand and can know. And it's just more about execution and people and stuff than it is, you know, about like science behind the scenes. And I, I'm just, I'm always a fan of coaches who, who treated it in that way.
0: Oh yeah. hundred percent. Same here. Um, as I mentioned, you know, you were at the Piney woods yesterday. We're going to kick it off right with that. We had Sam Houston somehow pulling out a 21, 20 win. Over SFA, Eric Schmidt announced he was uh, the uh, Sam Houston. I should say announced that Eric Schmidt would not be playing. shoot, Jr. got started quarterback, and for about ninety percent of this game, SFA had it in control. It seemed.
1: Yeah, I mean SFA dominated for the first fifty minutes of, of game action. Sam Houston had the last ten, and that was the part that matters. I, you know, to me it it screamed of a of a matchup between a, a team that had won nine straight against the other and a team who was really looking to kind of break that streak. It, it looked like Sam Houston was, was always okay with where they were in the game. They never panicked mm-hmm. even down 20 to six in the fourth quarter. They were still running their offense hunting, still running the defense, you know, not, not in any real hurry. And you could tell Stephen F was just watching that clock and just hoping it would just go down and go yeah. down and go down and you can't play not to lose. And that's just part of a, a changing a culture uh, there in Lufkin that they haven't done yet. And, and you can just tell, one team had won a national t- title in the last nine games against the other because they just looked so calm and so poised, even with the backup quarterback, even down 14, even as the clock was going down. And then Stephen F. did catch a couple bad breaks. You know, there was a <laughs> there was a penalty on a fourth down stop that was just – he just happened to, to hit the face mask and it got called, and, and that continued the Sam Houston drive that it eventually won the game. So uh, a lot of big plays from Sam Houston, including the two-point conversion that cut it to six, and so – It was just, like I said, a team that you can tell is used to winning, and uh, one team that was hoping to win, and uh, that experience and that kind of mental fortitude paid off there for them.
0: It definitely felt like Sam Houston, you know, obviously they struggled a little bit on offense to move the ball without Eric Schmidt, and you kind of realize how prolific of a player he really is, how they, how he can just transform that kind of offense, but it seemed like SFA really wanted to kind of put their foot down and they just couldn't I mean credit to S- to Sam Houston's defense to be able to keep them in that game but it seemed like and I, I feel like Kobe Carthel is the type of coach that would be like all right let's let's you know we have them really down let's really try to press and they just kind of really didn't they didn't run the ball that well um they threw the ball pretty well but like they, they really couldn't I don't know. I don't know if they got conservative with it or what, but it was like they never really had that next gear to, like, okay, now we have the number one team in the country down, injured. Let's completely finish this. And they just never were able to.
1: Yeah. And they haven't ran the ball well all year, honestly. Mm. I mean, they, they injured that game averaging, I think, 3.2 or 3.3 yards per rush. And in that fourth quarter, you know, had they been able to run the ball consistently, to keep moving the chains, to take down the time. There just wouldn't have simply been enough time for Sam Houston to catch up. But they were having to throw the ball uh, because their best run plays were usually, you know, trace self scrambling, yeah. scrambling. You know, they were off script run plays, and so they just could not run the ball at will. And when Sam Houston knew that's what they were trying to do, it got even harder and harder. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, I, I think this is maybe a game that Sam Stephen F wins next year. You know, mm-hmm. once they kind of have a little bit more, but. Uh, yeah you just the the championship medal of sam houston really showed up there in that fourth quarter yeah, I was, how to say, the invi- oh, yeah I was
2: gonna say i think championship caliber teams they really just do find a way to win they always do and it shows yeah. there
0: yeah how was the environment because this was one of the more hyped uh piney woods battles in a while sfas just on the outside of the top 25 i believe there or i think they were were they ranked in this one technically i couldn't remember exactly no okay yeah. so they were just outside of the they're top just, 25 just of course yeah yeah. And Sam Houston, of course, number one. Um, and so, I mean, Colby Carthol obviously helps build up more of that hype as well of him. You know, he's a very uh, passionate guy. How was the kind of the environment there at NRG? You
1: know, you could tell on the Sam Houston side, it was a little bit of nervous energy, energy especially once mid kind of was, you know, declared out and everybody saw him in street clothes before the game. Everybody knew this SFA team was good and could score points. And, you know, it was probably one of the better teams that they faced over the last decade in this rivalry. So, uh, a, lot, a lot of, you know, a lot of nervous energy in Orange, a lot of excitement in Purple. And then that kind of shifted towards the end. You kind of felt the nervousness go to Stephen F. as they mm-hmm. were up 14. And Sam Houston was kind of clawing back into the game. It, it definitely felt like everybody involved knew the more time on the clock, the more opportunities Sam had uh, to get back into the game. And, and they did exactly that. But it was fun. That was the first time I'd ever gone, uh, gone to that game. Uh, NRG, you know, that, that gives it, you know, the ability, you know, it's indoors, it gets pretty loud in there. My problem with NRG, and this is a separate tangent, but that press box is
0: so freaking. I I saw that. You don't, you
1: you have no idea what the atmosphere is like because everybody's (laughs) a thousand feet away from you. That elevator ride to floor eight takes about a minute and a half
0: oh yeah i saw that and i was like oh geez they couldn't like i don't know you might have just it would have probably been better to expense a ticket or something to just go <laughs> sit with everybody
1: college, college station and, and nrg they kyle field and nrg have the the two highest press boxes i've ever been in in my life and as a guy who doesn't like heights it, it's not not that fun <laughs> it's not the best
0: uh you got to get like the they got to do like the alamo dome where they just put the press box like right below like first level and it's just like boom right there you're almost level out, with the and field and it's open
1: and it's yeah, open. perfect there I, I danny davis and i are great friends and i think the one thing we disagree most on is the alamo dome and the greatness that it is to cover oh, the game. There.
0: it is a perfect venue for football i don't know what he's talking about all right anyway it. yeah anyway moving on uh we're gonna stick with some headlines right now Texas over TCU, 32-27, Um Robinson. Mike Craven, take it away.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he's a freak of nature. Uh, I think we talked about it last week, you know, those things you played with as a kid that you try to tackle and they were bigger at the bottom and they just popped yeah. right back up. That, that's exactly who he is. His balance after contact is – I mean, Nuts. I don't want to get too hyperbolic or whatever, but I, I can't think of many players I've seen in my life possess more balance after contact with john robinson he, he's great he's the reason that that texas is four and one going into the red river rivalry he's the reason texas has any momentum at all and uh he's the best gift tom herman uh gave to the university of texas football program
0: yeah he i mean he is he should be in the heisman category or heisman conversation yeah. 35 carries 216 yards two touchdowns I mean, and this was even without even having to use him in the passing game, which I expect we'll see definitely more of that throughout the season. TCU had no answer for him. I mean, we talked about our issues with TCU's defense this year. And I mean, it doesn't help that when you play probably the best running back in the country that you're just going to look a lot worse. Um, I will say this was a game that to me showed the difference between Casey Thompson and Hudson Card. Because Casey Thompson started off very poorly, did not look really good, looked a little uncomfortable through that weird pick in a triple coverage, like just before halftime that just kind of like gave TCU a lifeline when Texas could have driven and uh, gotten, a, gotten a more commanding lead. And then he just comes out and just still makes the same throws. He, they, they just keeps it, he keeps it methodical. Of course, they shift the offensive load to B. John Robinson but he doesn't turn the ball over after that. He just makes the plays he needs to. He gets a good run. Uh, There was one long run that he had later in the game for about 40 yards or something. The ability to shake off a bad start and to not make it worse, I think is the biggest difference because you look at that first half and you say, okay, This is literally what Hudson Card was doing against Arkansas. What's the difference? And then the second half is the difference, right? He doesn't let it cascade into, he doesn't look more uncomfortable. He stays, I kind of said uh, he had short-term memory loss, basically, when it came to his bad play. He just kept things going. And when you have a running back that's cooking, you just need to not mess it up. And that's all he was, that's what he was able to do. So I thought that was the biggest difference between the two quarterbacks showed in this game.
1: My favorite thing about Sark as a play caller is he will ride that hot hand. He doesn't get cute too often where it's like, well, they know Bajon's going to run the ball, so we can't run it. It was, I think they had a third and six or a third and seven late in that game and a first down was going to seal it. And most play callers call a pass play there. And Sark goes, nope, (laughs) I have Bajon in the backfield. I'm just going to give it to him. And if it gets close enough, maybe we go for it on fourth down. And that's a sign of a comfortable and confident play caller. What I thought was interesting about the game was honestly the Texas defense. And maybe we could make the mm-hmm. argument that it's really more about the TCU offense. Uh, but they held TCU to nine points in that second half when that mm-hmm. offense for Texas wasn't running in the way that it had in the previous couple games. I think Pete Kwiatkowski and that defense is getting better and better every single week. Uh, maybe next week will be the first time we can really like test that theory. Mm-hmm. But I think they're coming around and they played a pretty good second half. And to me, that was as big of a storyline as anything coming out of that game.
0: Yeah, I think one of the things that stood out to me, and I, want, I kind of want to switch over to TCU on this part because you you mentioned Sark realizing he has a star in his hand, right? And it's like, okay, here's the guy, and here's the the here's the guy that's going to carry this offense and carry this team. TCU has that guy, and they refuse to use him in the same capacity. Yeah, and it's 15 the,
2: carries, I think. He, that whole game Zach
0: Evans had 15 carries. Understand. He averaged an entire yard more than Bijan Robinson. He had 15 carries, 113. And they're so insistent on this balance attack, giving Max Duggan a lot more than maybe he's. I don't think Max Duggan's a bad quarterback, but I don't think he's somebody that should be able to that that should carry the offense. You have Zach Evans. TCU got the greatest gift in the world from the best player in the country falling in their laps when he should, should have been nowhere near Fort Worth. He should have been in Athens. He should have been Tuscaloosa. They get a five-star generational talent. Again, Mike, you were on the recruiting beat when this guy was getting touted as, "Oh my gosh, this guy's probably this guy has a ceiling of a pro-ready running back right now," and they're giving him 15 touches, and it's like every time he touched the ball, he did something great. And I remember those one play in particular where I think he got like a first down on like a third and six or second and six. And then the next play, they do like an end around fumble the ball and Texas recovers. And it's like, what, like, what is, I don't know. Like it, 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 it shows Sark can get all the credits for being this, this, you know, uh, innovative offensive mind, but it's not innovative to be like Bijan Robinson is getting 35 carries. (laughs) Right.
1: Yeah. after the game, Gary Patterson kind of answered the question and said that Zach was tired. And that was the reason he only got 15 carries. And so the problem becomes either Zach needs to be in better shape because it, you, you got to be able to touch the ball 25 to 30 times. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, if, if you're going to be that bell cow running back guy, um, or it's just an excuse. And everybody's tired in the third or fourth quarter. The defense is tired too. That's why you give the ball to your best player and he's supposed to get better all the way through. So to me, I mean, it did feel like all week TCU kind of dealt with some stuff that was dumb and just didn't – you know, that that SMU kind of hangover yeah. and the drama mm-hmm. from all that all week, it just felt silly. And then to not give your best player the ball for two weeks in a row really where, you know, even in that SMU game it was like, man, where did he go? Why isn't he on the field? Where? Why right. are you giving him the ball? I mean, he's averaging more carries than – or averaging more yards per carry than anybody in the nation since he started playing running back in college football. Like give him – the football. And if he throws up on the sidelines, he throws up on the sidelines. So that's just that's just part of it. Uh, but they have to figure that out. Either that Zach needing to take care better care of his body and, and to be in shape to, to carry the load, or it's Gary Patterson and then offensive staff going, look, we don't care if he's a little tired or a little gassed. He's our best player. Max Duggan is not. And we, mm-hmm. need to, we need to put him in, in, in the position to make plays as much as possible. And to me, it's the, the Max dug-in and the quarterback experiment in Fort Worth is, is the most troubling part. Like with a good running game and with a defense who was playing okay mm-hmm. on Saturday, they just, they just got nothing from the passing game. And I covered a lot of those wide receivers on the field. I know Tay Barber's good. I know yeah. Quentin Johnson's good. And they just consistently cannot get them the football against a Texas secondary that gives up big
0: passes. Uh, Last year, Zach Evans in 2020, 54 carries, 415, 7.7 yards a carry. This year, he just passed that uh, yesterday, 57 carries, 443, 7.8. He's still that good. It's not a small sample size. That's basically a full season of productivity now under his belt when you combine kind of just the totality of his carries. He's averaging almost eight yards a carry. Give him the ball because, as we know, this – I tweeted this out semi-jokingly, but not really. TCU might have a problem keeping him in Fort Worth after this year. Mm -hmm. If this is the workload they're giving him where it's like, hey, you're kind of a feature of this other offense that we're doing. He just watched the other guy that he was compared to in his recruiting class get 35 touches, right, and be a focal point. If I'm any of these Power 5 schools that had issue with his recruiting process, if I'm Georgia, for example, I'm looking at it like, okay. We can work with that now. Like, you know, like we'll put all that behind us. And if they're knocking on his door, TCU has no one to blame but themselves if he's not there the next year, because you have a NFL running back on your roster right now.
1: And I I think I can say this pretty confidently. Zach's Mm -hmm. problems were never that he's like this bad kid who was doing stuff that was just like, man, is he going to be able to make it through college? It was more just immaturity and some stuff going on behind the scenes with family things. And it got too much for him. And that's not great. That's not giving him an excuse. But those are things that can be fixed. We were all Mm -hmm. teenagers. We were all immature. We all have done dumb things in our past before without a huge spotlight on us. And so – Uh, He seems to be handling everything really well. I know his GPA is really high at TCU. He's he's a smart, bright, funny kid. And so if he's got that maturity stuff handled, uh, the sky's the limit for him. And I agree with you. If you go through this year and you're only getting 15 carries a game and your team isn't winning and you get a free transfer in the portal, um, you know, things could get ugly in Fort Worth real quick. I mean, the same thing's true for Quentin Johnston and a couple other guys on that team.
0: All righty, moving on to an upset this weekend, Mississippi State over Texas A&M 26-22. Yeah, this offense is not good. Uh, This offensive line's not good. And, of course, I don't think Zach Calzada is very good. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it was bad. This game was just awful to watch, honestly. I listened to it on the way home uh,
1: from Houston, and I, I watched most of it this morning they just do not make any plays. Like, no. they, they, like they get the amount of yardage that like is there to get. Uh, but they're, they they do not make any just like, Oh man, that was a great throw or Oh man, that was a great catch. Or they just, they just do not make plays in a way that this defense can sustain. I mean, the defense playing okay. I mean, I know yesterday wasn't the best, the best day for that unit or whatever. They gave up a lot of passing yards, but Mike Leach offenses tend to do that. Right. They just can't get anything going offensively, and that has to wear on the defense. When you're going three and out all the time, when you're missing chances, uh, when the other team knows that you're not going to score many points, it, it doesn't take much. And yeah, they 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 got a problem there. Maybe maybe a healthy Haynes King is what solves that problem, but I don't think so because I think a lot like Oklahoma and what we've seen from Spencer Rattler. I don't know how you play quarterback behind an offensive line that is that bad and for how well they've recruited. It's, it's worrisome that it has it dropped that much after last year.
0: Yeah. I think that one of the, I didn't expect the offensive line to regress this much because a couple of things I noticed were, so Ruben Fothery, of course, got the start on the right tackle, which again, really good prospect will be really good for them. True freshman, Right. Bryce Foster, of course, we talked about him, will be pretty fine, will be okay. It's true freshman starting at center. Kenyon Green, for whatever reason, hasn't worked really in one particular spot. After he's been really good for the past couple of years, they tried him at left tackle, didn't really work. They moved him to the guard, didn't really work. I think they moved him to right guard yesterday, didn't really work. So that's kind of been, it's just, I, th- I want to say he's played like, Kenyon Green's played like three or four positions along the offensive line this year. So it's like, they're they're. Try- I don't know if they're trying to get him to fix some weak spots or if he's not working out where they think he should be at this point. Cause when you have a power, when, you know, we, last year they're, uh obviously the running game was what they hinged everything on and they're not able to run as prolifically as they were last year. I think Spiller has been fine. I think the chain has been fine, but like if you want to be able to depend on those guys, I think you're going to need, you're going to need a little bit more of a push. And the other thing is they're not, I don't think Zach Calzada has been great, but he's also not having time to throw, you know, like uh, he, he's, it's kind of like, I can see why Haynes King was the problem solver in order, you know, in the fact that he was just able to run and escape and Zach Calzada can't do that. And we, when he's already struggling throwing the ball, and then he doesn't have time to throw the ball, it's just a cascade effect um, on that safety uh, towards to when they lost the game on that safety, that was two, that was Kenyon green and Bryce Foster missing a block. I saw that. Uh, Of course, Zach Calzada shouldn't have rolled back into the end zone and got the safety, but that was a missed assignment on Bryce Foster who missed uh, his assignment, and Kenyon Green sort of pushed him at the last second into Zach Calzada, and that forced him backwards. So it's a mess, specifically in pass per – I know I mentioned the running game, but specifically in pass protection, it's been a mess for for them all year, and that's a concern because that was supposed to be one of the strengths of the team.
1: I still just don't think they're running the ball enough. Like that's fair. That's fair. You look down and still has got 16 carries. A chain's got eight carries. I mean, I I'd like that closer to 40 combined from those two rather than, you know, mid twenties or whatever. And some of that's how many snaps you're getting and not being able to move the chains. And, and you know, you get into different situations. The offensive line's not helping either. Yeah. I do think the Kenyan green thing is figuring out the best four around him and knowing mm-hmm. that he's good enough to play in whatever that odd spot is, you know, and I just don't know if they can figure out, who that other best four is to let him get settled because you talk to any offensive lineman and it's the most unit based group on the team. You know, yeah. you can't really just like plug and play in there. It's weird playing next to different guys because they take different steps and do different things. And it just looks like to me, they're kind of like over abusing his talents and going like, well, he's going to be our best offensive lineman. We can just put him in the weakest spot, but there's so many weak spots. There's nowhere to really put them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I
2: think it's crazy that we used to talk about this Texas a team as being one of the teams in the hunt for a playoff spot. And now it's like, are they going to even make a bowl game? They still have Alabama, Auburn, Ole Miss, and LSU on the schedule. It's like, what does it come to?
0: <laughs> yeah, it. I think. And I think like, I mean. You know, we were guilty of it too. Obviously, I think we thought that this team was a lot more solidified than it was, right? Right, and they should. I, be. Lo- I
2: mean, if they're in the hunt for the playoff, they should be a. They should have a team with more depth than
0: they have. So that brings me to another question that I had to either one of you. When it comes to Zach Calzada, should Jimbo Fisher and you know somebody that's making seventy-five million dollars guaranteed at Texas A&M, should he be expected to have a more capable backup quarterback?
1: I think so, I mean, probably. Probably. I, you know, I look at like a place like Clemson and how much they have struggled with Lawrence. And, and mm-hmm. my inclination is just to go, you know, finding quarterbacks is hard, you know, mm-hmm. finding, finding, finding guys who look good throwing the ball in mm-hmm. shorts at elite 11 camp is pretty easy. Finding a quarterback who can do that when guys are running full speed at him to like break his face is a little <laughs> bit, is a little bit different. And so to me, AM, you know, to me, honestly, this year, makes it more obvious that Kellen Mond was not appreciated in a way that he deserved to be appreciated by fans and by the rest of us around the state. He was really, really good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He, he made up for a lot and an offense that's not easy to run. He ran it pretty well. And I think that a lot of people were concerned with what he wasn't as opposed to what he was actually doing and which was just putting this team actually in the playoff hunt. So um, yeah, Mallory made a good point. It's going to, they have a tough schedule still up ahead And Mississippi State was one of the games that they needed to probably win. Like this, that was a team that was vulnerable. The offense was not clicking. It was mostly a defensive uh, team up until now, and they just came into Kyle and looked great. So, yeah, it's uh, it's been it'll be a rocky uh, rocky time this year. All right, and and Alabama's
1: in town on Saturday, so (sighs) you know, good luck with uh, getting a little bit. It's probably going to be three straight losses. Uh. you know, we went into the year like 10 and 2 would have been a bad year, yeah. For A&M. That would have been a disappointing year for AM. They're already at 3 and 2, looking at 3 and 3 after this next week. And you know, Mallory listed all the games that are still ahead of them. Uh, getting to 8 and 4 is going to be a challenge, and that's crazy to think about.
0: Yep, all righty. Uh, moving on to another upset, uh, kind of upset. I don't know if it's actually an upset. Uh, number 19, Oklahoma State over number 21, Baylor, 24 14. Um, all the questions we had about Baylor's offense came roaring back in incredible fashion. Uh, Oklahoma State held, they, Baylor couldn't run the ball. Baylor really struggled throwing the ball. They couldn't stop uh, Oklahoma State offense that was really struggling. Uh, actually, they, they did do, so I will say, they couldn't stop the run. Spencer Sanders turned the ball over a lot. And he looked like a quarterback that was like, just like what's kind of happening here. I don't know. He really did not. I don't know. I could talk about Spencer Sanders and kind of what we expected of him, where he actually is, but he had three picks. One of them was just really awful. And Baylor's defense did pretty okay, but they couldn't get off the field because he couldn't stop the run. I think in the first quarter, Oklahoma state had 10 minutes of possession to Baylor's four. And at that point it's like, all right, when you do get the offense, uh, Oklahoma State's offense off the field, you got to be able to move the ball, and they weren't able to.
1: Yeah, it kind of felt like Oklahoma State beat Baylor. They out Baylored Baylor. You know, like mm. both both kind of went in with the same game plan, and Oklahoma State, even with the turnovers, was able to stick to theirs a little bit better. You know, you look at the box score, and, you know, they Baylor ran the ball 29 times. They passed the ball 27 times. That can't be what the game plan was to be that close to 50-50. I think mm. they'd rather you know, run the ball 65% of the time. Some of that's the score. Some of that's, you know, time, possession, field position, a lot of different things. But you can't get three interceptions from the other team's quarterback and lose a game. like that. Those are games that, that you got to win on the road even uh, when you get a bad – because Spencer Sanders is one of those guys – it's Jekyll and Hyde, right? You either get yeah. the good Spencer Sanders or you get the bad Spencer Sanders. When you get the bad Spencer Sanders, you have to take advantage of, and Baylor just wasn't able to do that.
0: Yeah, Baylor had – so they – they I think – I'm trying to look at the numbers that they had. So they had 107 yards rushing, but you take away a 55-yard touchdown from uh, Abram Smith, and that turns into 52 yards on 29 carries.
1: Yeah. Like, and nine of those were from Bohannon. So they yeah. only handed the ball off 20 times. And that right. – to me, that, that's just not the number you'd want to – on the road, that's not the number you want to shoot for.
2: Yeah. I saw so, something that they had 23 23- – Rushing yards heading into the third quarter. Team late yeah. in the third quarter. It was late in the third quarter. They had only 23 rushing yards. And that's not something you'd expect, you know, coming in as a team that's supposed to be ranked sixth in the nation for, you know, their rushing attack.
0: Yeah. Now, granted, that I, that I but, that offensive line was
1: whipped. That offensive line was whipped. And that was kind of that first bad performance. And, and like Ish said, you know, all the question marks we had about Baylor entering the year, they came to fruit you know. It, they kind of showed themselves for the first time this year it'll be interesting to see kind of how that unit as a whole bounces back next week
0: yeah and like like i said you know oklahoma state's defense is a really good defense and so i do wonder how much of it was just running up against a team because i want to say they uh their 12th in sp plus baylor's uh defense was 14 so it was like it was a battle of really good defenses the only problem was one of those offenses was able to just control the clock for the entire game basically Um, I don't have the official uh, time of possession battle, but you guys heard how uh, divided it was in the first quarter. It just basically stayed like that. So, uh, yeah, now they get West Virginia, which, you know, vulnerable West Virginia. We'll talk about them uh, in a bit uh, as we get down the power pole. Okay, moving on to the power pole. Number 12, Texas State was off. Thank God number 11 north texas was also off but shout out to oregon for wearing the blue and green with the same uh winged helmets that's why And then proceeding to lose to <laughs> stanford so we got some version of north texas football on this weekend
2: <laughs> and i lost too so it's you know,
0: it was great oh you know it was great <laughs> yeah when they when they wore those helmets i was like oh no oh no it's not gonna be good <laughs> They look um, exactly like North do? Texas.
2: I don't get it.
0: It's really weird. They have so many colors. I don't know why they chose that one. Okay. Um, <laughs> moving on. Number ten, Rice. Rice twenty four nineteen. Nice. I'll take it. I'll take okay. it. Wasn't good. Wasn't ugly. Or wasn't it pretty? But who cares? They're th- they're two and three. Uh, I think this is. I'm trying to think. Is that back to back for Rice now? Back to back. Back to back for Rice. I mean, the fighting Bloomgrens are on. Let's go. I mean, Southern Miss was a team that you were able that I I hope they were able to take advantage of. This is still uh, a Southern Miss program that's kind of finding its way after kind of a chaotic 2020, and they did. Congratulations, they got something going,
1: and they seem to kind of figure out the quarterback spot. You know, they they started three different quarterbacks in their first four games. I know some of it was injury, the reason Jake Constantine got in there, but he's looked pretty good. I mean, he looked mm-hmm. he, he looked fine yesterday. I don't have his line, I think it was 16 of 22, 192 and two touchdowns, no interceptions. That's, that's what you want. Yep. They were able to run the football. Okay. Defense played well. So uh, this was, you know, there's only two or three games a year where Rice can legitimately show up and, and have an expectation to win, not just upset a team, but like, Hey, we can win this football game. This is, you know, that was one of them. You know, they were favored by yeah. a point by the time the game started and they covered and won. And so, yeah, an impressive win and, and one they needed for sure.
2: And how about their defense picking the ball off like four times, too?
0: Mm-hmm. Pretty yeah, awesome. Defen- that's been, I mean, that's been the calling card, right? Yeah. Don't mess up on offense and make some plays on defense. and You'll be good to go. And now they get a bye week before they got to prepare for UTSA. So that is going to be uh, quite the test for that defense uh, yeah. coming off, uh, coming off their bye week, coming up. All righty, moving on in the power poll, And I actually deleted the power pole. I know it was UTEP up next. UTEP. Uh, 28-21 over ODU uh still rolling i mean geez four and one utep gavin hardison again i've mentioned this guy is boom robust right to 10 for 20 50 completion but two touchdowns a couple long throws to jacob cowing that's all you need and then of course Deion hankins looked good um well he looked he looked healthy i'll say because he's been kind of struggling with injury 22 carries 70 yards just good to see him back out there getting carries and getting uh getting going again and yeah man they're UTEP's going. I don't, I don't I have no idea what to think because this has never happened, uh, or it's very rarely happened. So yeah, UTEP
1: is up 17 to 7. And then, you know, old Dominion comes and starts, you know, they, I think they had a 14-3 third quarter there to take the lead going into the fourth, and it was like, uh oh, you know, how how is UTEP going to respond to this? And they responded mm-hmm. well, like, like you said. Um, and so with Hankins back healthy with a passing game that can be explosive, maybe it's not consistent. And Hardison's probably not a guy that's going to complete 70% of his passes. And some of that's what they're asking him to do. They're not giving them the easiest throws in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, they push the ball down the field, and they got a couple wide receivers that can make big plays. And uh, for UTEP, that's something we haven't been able to say over the last couple of years. And I'm ready to jump on the our going bowling bandwagon here. After watching Southern Miss play Rice, I got to see the two teams I needed to see at the same time. Um, so the pins you hear knocking down. Uh, those, those the miners going bowling because they're going to beat Southern it. Miss. They're going to be Rice and get to six wins. They may beat North Texas and get to seven. Who it's, knows?
0: It's going to yeah. They got uh, of course their next game is against Southern Miss. I would count them as favorites in that one. Rice later on in November. They got to count them as favorites in that one. Obviously at UNT, we'll see where that one goes. But I mean, they just need two to get to go bowling, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I they're can going. see those two very, very clearly happening. Let's get more people in the Sun Bowl because they desert with the way they're playing right now i'm right. gonna try to get to the
1: sun bowl for that rice game say so if they're if they're at five games if they're at yeah. five games in november with rice coming in i'll take an el paso trip in november sign me up let's
0: go i'm t- all down. right moving on number eight houston 45 10 over tulsa i knew tulsa wasn't very good but i'm glad that houston looked like a team that took them seriously and just completely dominated. Clayton Tune looked healthy. Clayton Toon. Okay. He was, he was, yeah, he was, he was healthy ish. Uh, he, I think he would probably have ran a little bit more if he was actually kind of, there was one play where I couldn't remember who he dumped it off to, but he kind of rolled toward the line of scrimmage. And that was like, a, he probably could have gotten the first down, but he ended up dumping it off for a first down. And I think like healthy Clayton Toon probably guts it out and goes for that, goes for that first down, but they didn't need him to be Superman, right? 1724, 241 two touchdowns, two touchdowns, one pick. I mean, finished with a QBR over 86, like that was pretty good. And then they were able to run the ball really well. um, And Tulsa just could not get anything going on offense. And I think that's good enough. I mean, like I said, it was all about Houston realizing that Tulsa's not, not as good as them and completely giving them no room to maneuver. So.
1: I was, I was impressed. Alton McCaskill, Mm -hmm. Is a, mm-hmm. as a name we all need to remember. That that's the face of Houston football to me. Yeah. Or the, as they transition in the Big 12 and stuff like that is your dude. Like that guy is a player. He had three touchdowns in the first half. You know, for me, the thing that helped out Clayton Tune is that Tulsa didn't get any pressure. And yeah. so for the most part, he wasn't asked to move around the pocket or scramble or anything like that. If he's given a clean pocket, that hamstring won't be that huge of a factor as they get into the teeth of the schedule and some defenses can be able to put some pressure on them, either, you know, blitzing or defensive line. I, I think that's when we kind of figure out where the hamstring was. Cause anytime he did kind of try to run, you could mm-hmm. tell it's just not there for him. Yeah, um, but if they can run the football uh, that that allows for play action and the offensive line to have an easier time, you can keep a cleaner pocket. And maybe that hamstring um, doesn't, doesn't come into play all of a sudden, you know, they play Tulane next week who's one and four. That's not a very good football team. They're going to have to get past East Carolina, who is a, is a pretty decent football team. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden, October 30th, SMU at Houston looks like a fun, fun football game. And I hope both teams can avoid an upset on the way to that, because that would be a great game for the state of Texas.
0: I know considering where we were about Houston week one, I mean, potentially looking at what six and one heading into that game, like that's, that's kind of insane to me. Um, And I mean, it shows how, again, we talked about how kind of the simplicity of their schedule was, and there's only so much you can take, but I mean, there's also so much you can criticize when they're just like crushing teams on the schedule. So, you know, the Navy game had a little bit of pause for me, but this week they came out and looked like a team that did not like how they played against Navy. So Um, I think it's all credit to them. Moving on in the power poll, Jesus Christ, Tech 23-20 over West Virginia. Um, They had so many players out injured. um, I basically tweeted that I wasn't going to watch this game. And sure enough, they end up coming through and winning. Uh, Henry Columbia 23-34, 266. Basically just does enough. Sir Roderick Thompson does enough that this whole game was just them doing enough and West Virginia, I, I don't know. I think Jared Daigie a good quarterback. I think Neil Brown's a decent offensive mind, but West Virginia could not generate anything going in. I, I don't know if I want to, you know, I give more credit back to the tech tech defense for having that happen. Colin school was all over that field. Um, especially after getting whooped the week before, like this was a good bounce back win in a tough environment. I know West Virginia is kind of up and down, but, It's still not a Morgantown's not an easy place to play. I mean, after last week, giving up 70 points, getting embarrassed, losing your quarterback. I got to give credit to where credit's due. Tech came out with a gutsy win that could have easily been kind of the big nail in this season for Matt Wells if it went the other way.
1: I've been talking about this tech team and how they feel a little bit tougher, a little bit grittier uh, this year than they have in, in past years. Then they gave up 70 to Texas, and I, I kind of felt dumb and like maybe, okay, you know, this isn't the team that I thought it was. Maybe Houston's just not that good. This was a big win, in my opinion, to go mm. on the road against a West Virginia team that that's really good at home. Like, like Historically, yeah. West Virginia is a hard team to beat at home because that's just such a long trip for everyone else in the Big 12. I think yeah. it's it was a tough, gritty win for Texas Tech uh, because they were up 17 nothing, and then they gave mm. up that lead. And to kind of – to stay the course and to not panic to come up with your own drive to go down there and get that game winning field goal. I think that showed the belief that the locker room still has in Matt Wells, because if they go out after losing after giving up 70 and they lay an egg in Morgantown, we all start asking who's going to be the next coach in Lubbock. This win kind of proved that that team still believes in Matt Wells. And if that team still believes in Matt Wells, this is a team that can get to seven, eight wins. Uh-huh. Uh, if things go right for them.
0: Yeah. Huge, huge game next week against TCU uh tcu a team that's equally as vulnerable right now i would say um and then they got kansas like i think this is a very good stretch to potentially be six and one going into the tail end of october to potentially rebound and get this narrative shifted in the other direction after such an embarrassing performance last week against texas so i think they can get it turned around
1: the back end of that schedule is tough like the last game the last four games you're gonna be an underdog by probably seven to ten points mm-hmm. if not more in each of them so you need to collect these wins here yeah
2: i think they could win the next three games
0: things TCU, get you right.
2: kansas and kansas state and then mm. there you go they're built they're bowl eligible
0: right yeah i think and he it's, needs it's, a bowl game he has yeah, he, to absolutely
2: yes he has to do it.
0: yeah even a uh, tyler shuck injury aside like henry columbia is a capable backup quarterback i think they're he's good enough to get them to a bowl game so we'll see Uh, Number moving on the PowerPoint number six TC we mentioned them give the ball to Zach Evans more number five Texas uh, keep doing what you're doing with B. John Robinson (laughs) number four Texas A&M get older on the offensive line Uh, number three SMU okay 41 17 over USF. I'm going to be honest, I never bothered to watch this game cuz I was like this is not they're 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 just going to brush this team aside. Like, I don't think USF's very good. I trust SMU to just come and just dominate a team that they're better than. I think they're that well coached, I think they're that well schemed and they're that talented. And sure enough, I glanced over the score. I was like, "Cool, don't need to pay attention to that one." And I paid attention to every other game, uh, including Texas or um TCU, all those other games. It was no problem. I don't know. It was uh well actually this was was it the Friday game? I couldn't remember. No, this Saturday. No, it was Saturday. Okay. Friday Houston was yeah. a Friday game. Yeah. Okay, never mind. I'm tripping. But anyway, regardless, SMU, keep doing what you're doing. That was easy.
2: <laughs> if I don't see them in the top 25 this week, I'm going to riot. They need to be in the top 25.
1: Yeah,
0: they, they deserve they,
2: now.
1: They deserve to be ranked. Yes.
2: Yeah. Especially with all the chaos that happened in the top 25 this weekend. They absolutely deserve it.
1: Now this true. was a this was a four point game going into the fourth quarter. Yeah. You know yeah. this yeah. This, was, this was kind of a, a letdown performance from SMU. You you get the big win. You know two weeks ago you got the Hail Mary win against Louisiana Tech. Last week, you get the big rivalry win in the Iron Skillet against TCU on the road. This did feel like a dangerous game. They were able to score 14 unanswered points in the fourth quarter to kind of get a backdoor cover there. I'm a little upset about that because I had <laughs> I had called that SMU was going to sleepwalk a little bit through this game. Yeah, and I, I took South Florida cover, and it was eliminated there in the last week. To me <laughs> – Ulysses Ulysses Bentley's health is the big thing Mm. for SMU. I know that that backfield's pretty good. Trey Sigurds is a really good running back. Tyler Levine can do what he's he's capable of doing. But they need Bentley back there to really be uh, uh, kind of a balanced, just big play type offense next to Tanner Mordecai. Him not being there really did kind of limit that offense. He needs to get back healthy. Mm
0: -hmm. Mallory, uh, I have good news for you. The AP poll just came out and the number 24 Mustangs – are on there. So no, I don't there have you to go. Riot. Exactly. There you go. You can stay <laughs> right. uh, you Very can keep well pitchforks down.
1: Uh, and they got Navy
0: they got Navy into lane next. So, uh,
1: plenty of time to kind of mm-hmm. get everybody healthy. Get there. Yep. Mm-hmm. Should, it should be 7-0 going into that that game at Houston and that's going to be a good one.
0: Yeah. Yep, definitely. I think uh, by the way, you mentioned the backfield. Uh, did you guys see the story that came out this week about another running back that has not been on the field for SMU? Um T.J. McDaniel Believe um, in he had a so so. for those of you that don't know um, T.J. McDaniel of course was their starting running back last year ahead of Ulysses Bentley really good player coming out of South Lake Carroll breaks his ankle I forgot what game it happened against but it was early in the year early-ish in the year still not back people were wondering okay well what's kind of happening here SMU hasn't really said anything well I do want to give credit uh, if I can see if I can find it right here. Uh, the story came out from the SME student paper that he's been receiving experimental treatment from an electron company ran by his brother, Cam McDaniel. And if that sounds familiar, that's former tech, uh, former Notre Dame running back Cam McDaniel here. Uh, Ken Reynolds had the story uh, for the uh, daily campus really want to give that credit. Cause that is, that was a huge break. Um, Basically, elect, he he basically elected to not have surgery to do this electron therapy thing, and he's still not back. He's apparently walking again, but not cleared for contact by SMU. Um, Sunny Dykes, of course, had to be couldn't really. He's kind of had his hands tied. He can't say no because he's not like insured through them. You know, it's like he's not an employee. He's he can't really burn the bridge by saying no. You can't trust your brother on this. So he had to just put like you know he had to give his blessing basically, but like. SMU is not clearing him because he's probably not ready for like impact (laughs) and this, you know, this therapy, I believe the article says was used for like post ACL and like joint rehab. And they're trying to basically substitute that for a broken ankle again, (laughs) that probably needed surgery. So there's probably ligament damage in there. Is he going to play again? I don't know. There's no timetable on his return. And it's just one weird, weird story.
1: Strange. And I don't think SMU, because from what I've heard, he can run around and do some stuff. I don't think SMU will clear him because they don't want the liability. Right. Uh, You know, like they didn't get to oversee the medical operation. They don't have a real doctor to get a doctor's note that says they're cleared. Like there's no, there's no precedent for this. And so if he steps back on the field, gets hit for the first time and shatters his ankle, SMU doesn't want to be liable for that and right. so there's a there's a lot going on here um and yeah i'm i should probably stop there but that it's just a, it's just a weird story all around
0: yeah i'll say everybody go make your own conclusions from it uh like i said kevin reynolds uh from the smu daily campus a really fascinating story uh the fact that he was the one to get on this and nobody else was just like hey where's tj mcdaniel been you know including us like we were just like oh i guess he's just still recovering you know but he jumped on it, and he has potentially a bombshell story about something really strange going on. So,
1: and he did a good job in the article of not really drawing a conclusion. himself. Sure. like I, I think he did do a good job because that that's that's an. He easy explained story. what it was basically that was going on. Was an easy story to put an opinion in. Yes, right. We you know especially in kind of the charged times we are with science and people not trusting different stuff right now. It's an easy mm-hmm. time to editorialize a little bit. So. Uh, I was impressed with the article, specifically you know him getting the scoop, but also him laying it out there in a non-judgmental way that kind of allowed the reader to get to their own conclusion.
0: Yep. All right, moving on to the power poll. Number two, Baylor probably will be switching with SMU very soon. Number one, UTSA still going strong. Still, I mean, 24-17 over a winless UNLV. Still going strong in, in quotation marks. They they definitely squeaked by a team that they probably should have rolled against Um, but hey they got it done man Um, I actually didn't see much of this game but I kept keeping track of you know Jared and Javi and the rest of the UTSA uh, Twitter guys and they it was I kept wondering okay when's it gonna happen like when's the where are they just gonna kind of put this game away and they Mm -hmm. kept not doing that (laughs) and so um, I think this is one of those games that UNLV kind of keyed in on sincere McCormick a little bit um we saw last week what he could do when he's you know when he's uh really the focal point and really able to find the creases and create for himself but there's also the other side where the other team's like we're gonna try to make frank harris beat us and he did they won but you know i i don't, I don't know if that's cause for concern for me or not because again unlv is not a very good team and they really hung around at home against utsa
1: yeah, I mean, the UTSA grad in me wants to just kind of say, you know, they they won a big game against Memphis on the road last week, UNLV's 0-4, and, and as much as Jeff Trailer wants to talk about not eating the cheese, and, and mm-hmm. we all want to say, like, you know, hey, every game's important, and you got everybody's a human here, right? right the human right. nature is to know what records are and to maybe take your foot off the gas a little bit. You know, but Cicero and Corbett's only averaging 4.1 yards a carry this year, and I, I think that – that's probably the biggest concern. If there is one, you know, I, I don't want to get too nitpicky because UTSA is 5-0, and oh, and that's the mm-hmm. third have we had said two years ago. So the fact that they're just winning these football games is a big deal. But if you are going to get nitpicky, I think the offensive line hasn't performed in a way that it did last year. Some of that's defenses keying up for it, and mm-hmm. then some of that's just a little bit of inconsistency and some injuries and stuff that they've had there. But to stay undefeated and to really to win the Conference USA and to achieve some of the things that are in front of them, they're going to have to get better and more consistent running the football.
0: Yeah. I think that one of the, to kind of uh, combat that a little bit, I think one of the encouraging things is that they have been able to win since you're not been able to uh, be as prolific of a runner as he has been, because, you know, I kept saying into the, heading into this year, like I think their weak point was that quarterback on offense. I thought that last year, you know, at times Atkins looked really good. Uh, uh, Lowell Narcisse looked really good, but it was clear that Frank Harris was the guy and I thought that he was still a very limited quarterback. I still think he is, but I think he's capable of maximizing what he's really good at to be able to not be a liability, which at times he was last year. At times teams were like, yes, we'll guard the first down marker. You're not throwing deep. We know you, you're not, you're just going to keep everything in front of you. And this year he was able to just, he's able to take that and still be able to hit hit guys like Zachary Franklin, deep Josh Cephas, deep. And I think the receivers and other playmakers on offense that we kind of saw throughout last year have really broken out this year, right? I know Zachary Franklin missed this game, but uh, somebody like a Cephas, somebody like a Brendan Brady spelling sincere McCormick a little bit. It's been definitely, it hasn't been the sincere McCormick show until last week when they needed it most, but overall it's been much more of a a multi, multi uh, attack. And then of course their defense is still playing great, which is, you know, of course like the steady, the steady hand in all of this.
1: And he's not making the big mistakes. He's got six touchdowns, so only two interceptions through five games. So maybe not the big playability you'd like mm-hmm. out of your quarterback, but he's not giving up – he's not making the bonehead play. There was a lot of times on Saturday where he could have thrown into coverage instead. he threw out a bounds, settled yeah. for a punt, and let the defense do its job. That's what UTSA needs because against – there are some teams on the schedule that can beat them straight up. But against UNLV yesterday, it was going to require UTSA to make some mistakes. And while they didn't play a perfect game – They avoided those big mistakes, and that was the reason they were able to get out there with a win. And you got to do that, right? Mm -hmm. There's 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 times along the way where you're not going to play very well. A team you're supposed to beat easily is hanging around, and you got to show in the second half that you're able to go sixty minutes. And and they did that again. And so they've been really good in close games in the Jeff Trailer era, and they Mm -hmm. continued that again uh, yesterday. And to me, that's just that's all belief, right? That's that's, to me that just points to a coach and a program and the players that are all on the same page, rowing in the same direction, and that's a good sign.
0: Yep, and next week they got a hell of a game coming up at Western Kentucky against an offense that is just cooking right now. So oh we'll get into that. We'll get into that this week because, but I am I am excited for that one. I'm excited to talk about that one because, oh my goodness, that, that offense you talked is about
2: explosive.
0: Oh, they're killing it right now. Bailey's that the, the strategy of just taking Houston Baptist offense and moving it to Western Kentucky has worked out great. Like, I don't know, more teams are going to start doing that. There's going to be like, sure, we'll take the coordinator quarterback and both receivers with us. Why not? So I'm excited to see what that game is going to hold for us uh, next Saturday. That might be the one I'm tuned in most to, if I'm being honest. So that's, that's going to happen with incarnate word. Somebody's going to do that. Cameron Ward, <laughs> Eric Morris, yeah. just, <laughs> just
1: put it somewhere
0: and just keep it rolling. I mean, Texas state when the Sun Belt, they move that down. south. I will, I would be okay with that. If you ask. Uh, if you ask me, all right, well, that is our Sunday recap show. We will be back Wednesday. Mike Craven, early indications of where you'll be.
1: I'm going to the red river rivalry. I, yeah, almost, okay. said the wrong, I almost said the wrong title. I don't no, know.
0: The, I'm the, gonna, the old title. Yeah. I don't
1: want to, I don't want to bring guns into any of this. So uh, <laughs> I will be, yeah, I'll be, I'll be in Dallas. I was going to try to pull the double. But A&M, uh, you know, yeah. and, and playing Alabama, I don't know if there's much need for me to drive. No. The yeah. so I, I think I'm just going to do Texas State Fair, which for me will be big. I grew up going to that game. You know, I, I have a lot of family ties to Texas, but I've never covered it. Mm. So be, this will be the first time uh, to cover a Texas OU game. And so that'll be, that'll be pretty fun for me.
0: Nice. All righty. Well, we will talk to you guys Wednesday with a bunch of reviews for this week. I'm excited. Like I said, I mentioned Western Kentucky, UTSA, Red River, Uh and ms playing Bama, unfortunately, but we'll talk about it too. Uh, like I said, we, up. well, yeah, yeah. Good slate coming up. So we'll talk about that Wednesday and we will see you guys then.